Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Uh, this week we uh, get the chance to meet up with Richard Chaplow and have a good old long chat about his Saints career and a few other things. It's, it's quite a long episode this one but definitely worth uh, staying in for the duration and having a listen to the whole uh, interview. Uh, we go through everything from his Saints career from his first spell um, at Southampton back in the Championship um, and then his second spell at Southampton uh, when he came back at the time that we were down in League One and then stayed with Southampton all the way through the couple of promotions and up into the Premier League. We also get on to his time at Mill um, and his time now playing for Orange County Soccer Club in California in the USA. And we talk about the kind of personal tragedy that Richard went through, um, which kind of led to him leaving the United Kingdom and, and heading across uh, to the United States. Um, there's some real highs and a, and a few little lows in this interview, a bit of a roller coaster, and we'd absolutely love to thank Richard for you know giving us his time and for really kind of bearing all in this interview. Anyway, I hope you all enjoy it, and uh, let's head over and listen to Richard now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Saints FC podcast. I am absolutely delighted uh, to have a bit of an ex-Saints legend, certainly cult uh, hero, if not quite legendary status, uh, on the line all the way from Orange County in the United States of America, uh, Mr. Richard Chaplay. How are you? Good evening or, or good afternoon, I suppose, to you over there. Yeah, it's uh, just gone one o'clock, so... Uh... How you doing over there, back in the UK? It's uh, um, a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, I've got to say the the weather is probably not as nice as it is over on um, you know the west coast of the United States of America. Um, no, it, it's pouring with rain here. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, what was, I imagine it's gloriously sunny in California, isn't it? It um, it absolutely is. Yeah, woke up to a little bit of cloud cover this morning, but uh, as always, like clockwork, it clears away. By normally by about 10, 10 a.m., which is when we're just starting to get the boots on and get out on the field. So uh, heats up pretty quickly, and um, the rest of the day is positively tropical from there on out. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely a, a plus. Um, not that I don't love my uh, homeland, but um, the weather and the climate is uh, it allows you to do so much more uh, with your time. So. Uh, welcomed in that respect <laughs> brilliant right i'm just going to give a little bit of a, a run through of your southampton career for our listeners that um perhaps you know they're they're younger than i am they don't remember going to see you or, or perhaps you know they they live abroad and didn't get a chance to see you when you played for us mm-hmm. in the championship in league one yeah um so for the saints fans that that don't know you, your, your first spell with saints was um, 2005-2006 season when you came on loan from West Bromwich Albion and um, I think you had about 11 appearances in that time yep. 
Um, quite a tumultuous time with Saints, but we'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. And then um, after about, I don't know, it was about four years or so, he came back to Saints um, in 2010 after we'd gone down to League One, um, but just started at the very start, I suppose at the very beginning of the journey of the kind of double promotion uh, back up to the Premier League under Nigel Adkins. And, um, you know, you, you were kind of a, a pretty big presence in the first team. I think you played most games in both those seasons as we went up from League One and then up from the Championship and got into the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I was at West Brom and um, originally, like you said, came down on loan for uh, the back end of your champion season from when West Brom were in the Premiership. I think Nigel Quasi was coming to West Brom and I was yeah. part of the deal that came the other way. Um, I actually found out I was going out on loan as I was tucking into my cereal in the, at the West Brom training ground. <laughs> uh, I was sat across from Jonathan Green and, and, and Paul Robinson at the time and um, we were watching Sky Sports News and uh, across the bottom of the page it, it said that I was going to Southampton on loan. So um, the lads were like, uh, chaps, you off, mate? And I was like, don't think so. And they pointed to the TV and, and there it was running across the bottom. So... Uh, yeah, I went and knocked on uh, Brian Robson's door and uh, he informed me that he just agreed to, to send me down to Southampton. So um, little did I know at the time, it was uh, going to be my first test to a, a club that's been uh, very close to my heart now and obviously a very successful time. Um, but yeah, came in, in there under George Burley um, to try and help secure um, a championship berth for the season after. Um and loved my time down there. It was brilliant, which was basically the the main reason and the catalyst for me agreeing to come back when, uh, unfortunately, the club had gone down to League One. So uh, that was the start of it all. And um, thankful that it, it happened, yeah, because if it hadn't, I probably wouldn't have said yes to a League One team at that point in my career. But um, I did. And, and as you say, the rest, the rest is history, or as some have said, a, a bit of a fairy tale. So, yeah. Uh, it was brilliant to be involved in. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to get back to you um, on that. But um, first of all, let, let's talk about this kind of first spell um, you had with the Saints in the championship. So George Burley was the manager. He was brought in after um, Harry Redknapp left uh, Saints. But it was, it was quite a, an odd time for Southampton. So, I mean, they'd been in the Premier League or the top flight for 27 years at this point. Um, gone down to the championship. And it was whilst it was during the weird experiment with um, Sir Clive Woodward being on the the back staff, yeah. uh, the, the back team staff of Saints. And I find that really bizarre. I mean, what sort of atmosphere did it feel like going into the club? Did it did it feel like things weren't quite right, or did you not really notice that being kind of yeah, um, going in? Yeah, I mean, obviously coming in at that age, I think I uh, I think I was just coming up to twenty one. I think that was where I was up because I remember signing and one of the conditions I said to George Burley was, uh, can I go back for my 21st birthday uh, <laughs> that, I, that I had booked in? And he, uh, he obviously agreed to do that. But um, I think walking through the door and um, coming into such a big club, uh, it was easily um, on par with, with West Brom and their setup, if not better, to be honest. Uh which, you know, obviously West Brom at that point were the, a yo-yo team. Um, and my previous team before that being Burnley was was way off in terms of facilities of that time. So 
walking through the door, there was definitely a sense of, you know, this is a much, much bigger club than a, a championship, um, a championship team. And there was obviously boys in the team and lads in the team that had played top five football for a long time. Um, but like you said, there was an, a little bit of an air in there of not a club in crisis, but something wasn't quite, you know, ticking along as it should be. I mean, they were in the championship and not only in the championship, but struggling towards the bottom at the time I walked in. So, um, you know, I think George recruited myself, uh, Jermaine Wright, I think, came in from from maybe someone he'd had at Ipswich. Uh, Darren Potter came in on loan from from Liverpool, um, and we had they were a fantastic group of guys. Uh, Klaus Lundetman, uh, Danny Higginbottom, uh, them sort of boys, and we we actually had a really good team. But it was just for some reason they were down there. Um, but thankfully, in that particular season, we uh, we managed to start playing really good football. I believe from the articles and the fans at the at the time were impressed with the the fast turnaround and um we started playing teams off the park and i think um we pretty much secured our safety with maybe three games remaining i think it was uh brighton away at the, at yeah. the with dean i think it was uh, i think i scored in that game uh one one nil i think it may have been um and which ultimately sent them down as well i believe um but it was um yeah it was a bit of a strange atmosphere but not in respect to what was going on in the change rooms because they were a fantastic, a fantastic bunch. Yeah, and and actually, um, you finished that season so strongly. I remember that we were all quite optimistic for the season that was was going to follow, and I think you know people started thinking, well, you know, we, we potentially we could be getting promoted the next season, and we got to the playoffs. But um, I mean, I've got to admit, I was very surprised that you didn't sign for us permanently. Um, after that that loan spell at the end of that season, because you just seemed to fit into the team really, really well. Um, it, why why was it that it didn't get made permanent, or you know, do you, do you know what happened? Um, yeah, I obviously went back to to West Brom, um, who um, I don't know if we got relegated that season. I can't remember. But I went back and I spoke to Brian Robson, and uh, I th- uh, I. Um, believe that George tabled a bid for me of, of a million or so um, and I was I was quite open to the idea of actually coming down uh, I loved the area I thought that, like I said the, the, the area and the group of lads in there were, were a good group um, and obviously I felt that the team was going to push on and progress which which they momentarily did um, but I think Brian um, Brian Robson wanted to keep me around uh, obviously I came in and played well at Southampton I hadn't been given many opportunities uh, at that point at West Brom after I joined from Burnley uh, because we were always in a relegation scrap fight in the in the premiership and yeah. he didn't feel his answer to that was to play the more experienced pros that had been through the mill and, and were maybe a little bit more um, of a stronger and, and more steely mentality than a 20, 21-year-old uh, guy still, you know, trying to understand and, and progress in the game. Uh, so I was open to the idea of coming down, but it was ultimately Brian Robson that said that he wanted me to stay and he was uh, he liked, again, what he'd seen while I was down at Southampton and said that I was a big part of West Brom moving forward. So um, I stayed at West Brom and... I didn't really get any more games under Brian until until he left and uh, Tony Mowbray came in. So uh, it uh, it worked out okay in the end because I got to come back. But uh, yeah, it could have been could have been sooner. Yeah, 
Well, um, I mean, as much as I like talking about West Brom, I'm going to bring the uh, the subject back to the Saints at this point. Yeah. Um, so in that first spell, like the, it was quite an interesting squad. So you mentioned quite a lot of the um, experienced players that come down, a few of the players that have been there on loan. Um, but there were also some pretty exciting talents in that championship side as well. Like you got a chance to play alongside Gareth Bale and Theo Walcott. They were just kind of breaking into the squad. Do you, do you remember those kids coming through and starting to train with the first team and starting to get some game time or yeah um, I remember Gareth um, very very well because Gareth would start to be introduced to the squad um, at the back end of the season that I joined on lawn um, he'd obviously been promoted through the ranks and um, obviously now rightly so um, but he was he would play him at fullback behind me in training because um, George used to actually play me out uh, out on the wing, uh, out, out, or in the wing, right mid or left mid, and I used to come in narrow and tuck in next to uh, Jermaine and uh, Darren. He used to play in there as well, um, yeah. and it worked well. But obviously, throughout in training, I had Gareth directly behind me in, in some practice games, so uh, that was the first time I, I, I was introduced to him and, and came across him. And, and obviously, he he had quality, uh, but it wasn't really until I left and that season following the the, uh, the playoff season for you guys yeah. uh, that you know Gareth became a regular starter in the team. Um, the guys that were in the the team with me at the time were uh, Dexter Black, Stark, Nathan Dyer. Um, McGoldrick, uh, them boys. Um, so still talented guys that have gone on to have, have very, very good careers. Um, but yeah, just not to the ilk of uh, of a Gareth Bale or a Theo Walcott. Um, and I think also that Adam uh, Adam was in the group uh, socially, but he wasn't uh, quite trained with it at that point. Yeah. So anyway, what, what we'll do now is I think we'll um, fast forward a few years. And yeah. um, in... 2010 um you've got saints who are in league one um they've just sacked their manager alan pargy they have had a really really slow start to the season um yet you you felt compelled to to go back to the saints and I i think at the start of that season things were looking pretty poor weren't they for the first couple of months um, which is when you signed. So I, I wonder what that motivation was that made you think, actually, you know, I will take a risk and drop down another division. Yeah, well, initially it was, wasn't much of a risk because I came on loan. So yeah. um, I, could, I could always jump ship if, if things did go south. But um, ultimately, I wouldn't... Uh, there's, at that point in my career, I'd, I'd obviously gone to West Brom from Burnley to 1.5 and then uh, 1.5 million, which in them days was was a lot of money. Uh, and then I was sold from West Brom um, to Preston for for just under 1.5 again, so again a lot of money. Um, and I felt that you know I was um, in a point in my career where I needed to be playing top end Championship to try and get back into the Premiership. Um, but I'd at the point at this moment in time I. Uh, just fallen out with uh, Darren Ferguson um, at Preston. We had a, a difference of opinion, which which can happen uh, in in football. And he didn't want me around the squad. I didn't want to be there. And Saints came knocking. Well, actually, Nigel uh, came knocking and um, wanted to bring me down for, for originally just a month. Uh, see how we got on. Um, but like I said, without the the previous 
experience and knowing about the area, the club, uh, the fans, uh, everything about Southampton, uh, I probably would have turned turned a blind eye to just because they were League One and, and struggling a little bit. Um, but I knew that if I came down and things went well, that it could be uh, it could be amazing. Um, and I was willing to to take the risk based on previous experiences. So to come down for a month, it quickly got um, extended. I think. And then, uh, and then, obviously, I signed signed permanently after after that was up. I, I, I've got to admit, I think everyone was delighted when you came back because that spell we had with the championship. I think you, you played really, really well. Um, and uh, actually, because of your bald head, I think you reminded <laughs> quite a few of us of uh, of a former Saints legend and someone who we all think fondly of, which is uh, Chris Marsden. I, I hope you don't. Mind saying that I think his baldness was to do with um you know maybe the early onset of old age whereas I think yeah, yeah. yours is alopecia isn't it but <laughs> uh, it, you know despite that the way you guys played on the pitch it it, it kind of it brought kind of back good memories and um uh-huh. you know obviously you playing really well meant that we were so delighted when you when you came back for Saints um I mean what did you know much about Nigel Adkins before? Uh, you spoke to him as the Saints manager because for us it seemed quite bizarre to be getting rid of Alan Pardew and be bringing in a guy who'd kind of come up through the ranks being a physio and okay he had done quite well in his um in his previous job and, and won promotion but it, it did seem quite strange you know no it's uh I'll, I'll be honest it wasn't really uh, at the time it wasn't Nigel that obviously brought me that was the the driver for me to come back it was more the fact of, of everything the club brought and I knew what the club was about I knew very little of Nigel I'll be honest um, I knew he'd been successful at uh, Scunthorpe and uh, achieved promotions with their teams he spoke well um, to me on the phone uh, which is is always a positive uh, but it was it was basically everything about Southampton Football Club um, that that brought me back, and not um, particularly the the opportunity, which can obviously sometimes be a driver for, for for players to work with a certain manager. I I knew very little and had never really crossed paths with him previously. So, like I said, there wasn't much risk because I was it was originally for a month, so it was on both parties to figure out would it work, would it would it not. But obviously came in loved it Nigel worked well I enjoyed uh, his leadership and his coaching results started picking up pretty much immediately since since I was uh, since I joined and um, yeah I was, I was wondering if you were going to claim that uh, turn of fortune for Southampton <laughs> of course. And that being the turning point of the season uh, I, I think of you course. know when, when you came in we were probably what 17th in the in the division um, yeah. and then obviously at the end of the season we finished second um, Maybe you could make an argument there for cause and effect. Uh, certainly, it seemed like he had a positive effect on the team. Um, and how did Nigel get get you guys motivated when you were down in that lower parts of League One? Did the players still believe, you know, it's just a matter of time before we start picking up the results? And were you still focused on promotion at, at that point as well? I think in, in any um, football club, in any football team, uh, there's always an element of confidence that is needed to perform to maximums. And uh, without doubt, uh, things had started slowly under under Alan Pardew. Coming in, I think it was just a case of, you know, trying to get a couple of wins under our belts. And, I mean, the squad quality that was there for everyone to see, without doubt, was... There's no arguing that, that that squad was littered with talent and it was just a case of trying to get it into um, 
into a formation and, and into uh, a place that it was going to perform week in, week out. And uh, for me, it's, it was literally just a case of let's get a couple of wins on the board, let's get some points going, and we know that we're good enough to to put a string of of, the, of uh, wins together and, and climb out of where we are right now. And let's see where it takes us. But uh, the more the momentum built, the better we got, and and the more we steamrolled teams. Uh, and it literally got to the point where we knew not just turn up and we'd win, but we were so confident going into games that you know we we'd already won in our heads. So um, when you're feeling that way, um, you know you're feeling almost bulletproof on the pitch. So um, couldn't wait for the next one to come around, and we were just you know knocking goals in for fun. We had a strong defence in uh, Fonte, Davis and, and Radi Dahidi at the time and everyone was chipping in and, every, and everyone pulled their own weight and we had an amazing team spirit and um, it literally just it just took off. There wasn't much needed to be, to be adjusted uh, from game to game. It was just uh, a case of going out there and uh, playing to our, up to our highest standards and we knew that that would be enough. So, I mean, let's talk about that squad because at the time, you obviously, you can see the squad is strong. You can see some of the players have got real talents. But, I mean, if we go through like a bit of a roll call of some of the kind of big players in that squad, some of them have gone on to become regular internationals. They're mm-hmm. playing in the Champions League. And yet these guys were, were there playing in League One, you know, going to... Um, you know, all sorts of places across the country, you know, Dagenham and Redbridge, Colchester. Um, I think I remember going to the Colchester United game and you couldn't even see the other side of the pitch. It was so foggy, which is it's just bizarre when you think that, you know, this was a team that contained Morgan Schneidlin, um, who's now French international, Jose Font, who's won the, the European Championships, Ricky Lambert, who obviously went on to play for England as well. Um, even had like Jason Punchin, although he didn't perform perhaps as well at League One mm-hmm. as he does in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> you have Adam Lallana as well, and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. You know, some really, really fantastic players. And you were part of a midfield, which, um, you know, when you think of the guys that were playing alongside you, they, they've all gone on to be established internationals and, and play at that highest level. I mean, did you know you were part of something really special when you were in it? Or yeah, I think um, I mean, without doubt, it was been. Um, it's, it's easy for me to say it's it's been the most uh, enjoyable and successful part of my career, being part of that team, uh, that changing room. Um, it was it was great to to be in and around, and fantastic to look back at. But when you're in in there, and, uh, I mean, I'd played in the Premier League already. Went by the time I come and played played against some. You know, pretty uh, formidable characters, but um, the one player that I thought, wow, this guy's special was was actually Adam Lallana. Yeah. Um, we had lost him at any point in League One. He was the one person I think that could have affected us not um, achieving promotion. Um, everyone, Alex was was taking a lot of the headlines. Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, I think maybe because of his age and the interest from Arsenal, but I know that Southampton were were fighting incredibly hard to keep hold of Adam, um, namely from from uh, Alan, I think, was trying to trying to take him away. I think he might have been at Newcastle at this point. And um, you know, it was it was it was Adam that really made us tick. Um, and the things that he did daily in training are obviously all the things that we are now seeing daily in the Premier League and for, for England. So the squad 
uh, was without doubt talented. And looking around that changing room, you knew you were not only with with talented individuals, but also with good characters that cared for each other, would go that extra mile for each other. Uh, the bond was was very very strong, um, and it was something that uh, was probably built from the the, uh, the proximity that we all lived from each other. Um, with obviously Southampton being all the way down on the south coast. Um, there's not really many areas around that you can you can uh, go and live in and, and have to commute in. So literally 90% of the squad lived within you know a few miles of each other. So yeah. uh, we spent all our time together off the pitch as well as on the pitch, uh, involving the wife, the kids, and everything. And it was just such a strong strong bond and, and family atmosphere that uh, we really were sort of like a, a band of brothers, if you will. Um, and that added with the talent it's a recipe for success without doubt yeah and and that run at the end of the season i think from march um through to the end of may you won 13 out of the last 15 league games and we just rocketed up to you know up to towards the top of the table finished in second um you know had the season gone on any longer no doubt we would have won the the league as well um yeah I think one of the, the moments that lots of people remember the most is probably that kind of Jose Font header against during Brighton, the yeah. yeah in the the last <laughs> moments of the game against Brighton who who were the kind of the title winners in the end yeah um, yeah really really fantastic time so I mean you, you've mentioned that you and the players used to hang out so after a game like that where you've um you know beaten Brighton mm-hmm. it's looking pretty good for um for promotion. Where where did you guys used to hang out in Southampton? Would you go around to each other's houses, or were you kind of heading in, heading yeah, down um, into the town, or, or or what happened? Let's get some a, tips a little for bit, the, the yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit of everything really. Um, depend obviously when you're away, have away games, it's difficult. We're getting back late, and you just jump in your cars and and go home. Um, and then you would you know sometimes meet up on a Sunday. Uh, whether it be at, at Cal's house for a barbecue or down down in the uh, the marina for a few for a few beers if it were a lad's day out, um, but uh, yeah, I think um, I think the the main haunt on a Saturday night was uh, was nineties the the nightclub in Southampton. So um, <laughs> it was it was it was good times, you know. There was never the fans were brilliant. Everyone around the area was was a Southampton fan and you know we'd go out we wouldn't get any trouble uh we'd stay out of we'd stay out of trouble as well and uh as best as best we could and um you know it was it was a real sort of party party carnival atmosphere on on nights out we were like I said steamrolling teams coming back week in week out with three points and um when the time permitted for us to to enjoy and, and go out and spend time together uh, we would do so um, if we had a Saturday Saturday game, for example. If you were playing midweek, then then drinking is uh, is pretty much off the agenda. Um, but uh, yeah, we we mixed it up. We mixed it up. So uh, literally, really was a fantastic time. We made some some very very good friends, uh, and it's it's no surprise that it was so successful because uh, to have that team bond and team spirit is what is what actually does give you that extra bit of edge over the people so um it's funny because a lot times. of the Leicester City players mention that don't they of their title winning side how they used to spend time together and know each other as friends and that kind of bond of being together for a lot and you know the, I guess you see it on the pitch in the way the team plays but you perhaps don't know all the kind of nuances around it and when you see a team that's stuttering I, I don't know whether they're all hanging out as well or 
or, or what's going mm-hmm. on on with that. Um, I think you know, for the sake of time, let's move on to the season in the championship because you guys just kept up that form from the end of the previous season, and I don't know what the plans were at the start of the season going into the championship, but you guys were top of the table after two or three games, and and you didn't really end up relinquishing first or second place for for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Easy game, isn't it? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think um, I don't think anyone was really expecting us to go and steamroll the championship. It was um, it, it wasn't a surprise because once we were in it, we knew and we started playing these teams. We thought, yeah, we've we're, we're better than we think we are. Like you know, we didn't quite realise probably just how strong we were. Um, and again, that does that snowball effect. We won the first game uh, at St Mary's against Leeds. Um, obviously, you know you're always going to get a tough game against Leeds. Uh, they come in and they're hard to play against, and uh, been in the league for so long. Obviously, a massive club in their own right, and uh, I think Dean Hammond's got an absolute screamer with his his left foot. Um, and it was the start of of great things to come. Uh, you just take one game at a time. I don't think you even really look at that point of, of the season ahead you just wanting to get I mean they come fast because you have Saturday 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 Tuesday then a cup game is normally thrown in their early days in the season and um, we knew we had a good squad uh, again obviously we'd added slightly to it um, and yeah we just we just kept going and uh, we didn't look back and then all of a sudden coming up to Christmas and you find yourselves in the top two and it's uh it's uh that's that's the moment that you think right okay we can we can actually go on and do this um I think uh there was Brighton were obviously um a strong team again that year they managed to to keep things going a little bit and West Ham we were battling it out with but um I think it was a game against Brighton where I think we might have gone gone originally down I can't remember but uh, we absolutely battered them in the end and we won and um, we we walked off that pitch after and I thought yeah we can we can get promoted here yeah I, I think you know there's there's two and I, I wonder if you guys have this as a regret or, or not as well but I have two regrets from this season from the fans perspective from being nearly the perfect season the first one mm-hmm. And probably actually the least important of the two points was that having spent most of the season on top of the table, that we just kind of faltered at the end and didn't win the title. It would have been really great to have done that. Um, but obviously, like getting promoted to the Premier League was obviously number one objective. And the yeah. other thing was we facing Portsmouth two times in that season, whilst we were on this brilliant upwards trajectory and they were free falling at the time. We should have absolutely killed them, and we drew with them both times. And I just can't we understand did. why you guys didn't just hammer them. Um, well, I'd say on the Portsmouth games, um, definitely on the away game, I was injured, so you can't blame me for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know for the fans, it's such a big thing, and and the players really buy into it as well. You know, the the rivalry, and uh, I think from my experience at Southampton I've always had a really really close relationship with the fans and whenever I stepped out onto the pitch it was always to try and entertain the fans as best as possible because of the connection that I had with everyone um, so I always gave you know, literally everything I had for for you guys in the stands and 
um, I know that going into the game, the lads were desperate to, to beat them. Um, and yeah, I, I think it was a, was it a, a Norris volley at home from oh, distance that yeah. beat Kelvin. Uh, so I think I was injured for that one as well. And um, yeah, I remember being really disappointed that we couldn't get the, the win over them that day. And then looking back at the at the uh, the away game, it was it was a, a very weak goal on our behalf. I think Gooley. Gooley managed to uh, show his, his Brazilian side a little bit and probably <laughs> didn't quite stick his head in where it hurts, um, which, you know, is is part and parcel of of, of things. It happens. and uh, But, uh, yeah, maybe if we'd had a bit more of a, a defender in that position, he might have stuck his uh, stuck his head in there instead of uh, the, the attacker mentality of uh, not always going in there where, where it hurts. So... Disappointed without doubt. Uh, so share that disappointment with you. And to to not win, to not, to not actually be outright winners was was a massive blow because we felt we were the best team in the league. Uh, you know, I think um, it was always between ourselves and, and pretty much West Ham throughout. And uh, I still have a, a large dislike for for West Ham even now when I watch it on TV because of the rivalry that we had in that in that season um it was but it was actually um reading yeah that came from came from nowhere with with um and probably did what we did the season before where we just they just strung together win after win after win and listen we we played reading and we knew that we were a better team than them but yet they came to our place and they, they did a number on us um without doubt and once they beat us at home from I think we conceded from across after about 20-25 minutes Jason Roberts uh, at the back stick uh, nodded one in and it was it was after that game that I think we had like 70% possession 15-16 uh, shots and you know I think uh, we, we, we definitely we lost the game I can't remember the, the final score but uh, the winner of that game would have won the league that was we knew that going into the game and unfortunately um, we just didn't didn't manage to to turn up on that that occasion, and um, it would have been nice to have a winners medal without doubt. But um, to get back to back promotions was equally as as amazing. And um, you know, after you guys just roll Coventry over four nil on the last day of the <laughs> season, which was you know a, a glorious way of finishing the season. Um, you know, two seasons in a row, you've had the fans flood onto the pitch. Um, what happens when the fans flood on? Are you thinking, oh crap, I've got to get out of here, or, or did you just embrace them no, and, and, and and go with it? I'm thinking crowd surf. Let's <laughs> let's have a go on the crowd surfing. It looks looks fun. Yeah, let's let's party together and uh, suck it up and 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 have some some memories. So without doubt, I just yeah, let them come and hugs all around and like you say, you're getting put up on shoulders and, and whatnot. Um, it, it was amazing to see and then. We obviously all went up and got promote, uh, pre- presented with uh, the trophies or the, the medals at the time and we all had a sing uh, out on the pitch and the players were leading the chants and I remember I can remember that like it was yesterday. It was it was brilliant singing uh, singing all them songs with the fans. It was it, and it just for me epitomised the, the relationship and everything that we we had with with the fans, which which what made us not only were we strong in the changing rooms and around the training ground, but obviously we had that uh, backing from from everyone uh, in the stands and 
it really was a tough place for people to come play because we were we were formidable and uh, we had support from all four corners. So it was it was fantastic and uh, amazing times to look back on. Like I say, I can remember them like like, like they were yesterday. So. Yeah, I don't. Um, I mean, this is the problem with doing a, an interview over the phone is that you can't see the fact that like my face has just got the biggest grin on it as I'm <laughs> yeah, thinking I'm as well. um, of that day. It was so good. Um, I mean, that side was brilliant as well. I think Ricky Lambert got um, over 30 goals that season, um, but we had goals from from all over the place, didn't we? We I think you probably bagged like four or five goals. Lalana yeah. had more than 10. Yeah, Jos Hoyveld of all people got I think mm. eight goals. Um, which... All on Tuesday nights as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to score on a Tuesday night at Jos. Uh, yeah. No, we had we had goals from all all areas of the pitch. We had uh, yeah, we had Adam Chipping. I think he got got quite a few more than ten. I, I don't know why, but I want to say nearly reaching twenty. But um, uh, and obviously we had Ricky who uh, has dynamite in his boots and. And a stick on his head as well, so um, <laughs> he can uh, he can score from anywhere. The guy and we knew that if we provided him with enough opportunities in a game, more often we only needed one anyway. But he was going to find the back of the net, and then adding and around that goalie, probably maybe he got double figures. Uh, myself getting five or six. Uh, Adam, uh, Yoss, Jose, even um, getting uh, Fonte, getting a few and. We had goals coming in from all angles, and uh, we had good service from wide in Danny Fox and Fraser Richardson or Danny Butterfield, uh, providing deep and accurate crosses. And you knew if Ricky wasn't going to score, he was going to set you up. So it was it was a dream for for people like myself and Adam who preyed on uh, knockdown second ball runs into the box, um, made it so so easy to play play with because uh, you knew. If it was anywhere in and around Ricky, he was getting hold of it. As simple as that. So yeah. you could then you could run forward, knowing that he's not going to lose the ball, and you're not going to have to run back. So it makes things obviously a hell of a lot easier uh, having that confidence. Um, but yeah, goals were going in left, right, and centre, and and not only that, you know, we had uh, equally as impressive displays. Um, I don't know if you went to the Leeds away game, but that was. Literally like the Alamo at uh, Allen Road, and uh, we managed to uh, chuck our bodies on the line. And uh, I was watching watching a clip probably about a, a month ago now. Sometimes Saints put up the uh, things on Twitter, and this on this day in whenever and yeah. he put up the Leeds game, and uh, it was it was funny watching that back, uh, like Kelvin pulling off some ridiculous saves and guys just rolling on the floor in the 18 yard box and blocking things with their heads and the the shoulders and the knees and the and and all sorts. So um, it really showed that you know that that strength and of mind and presence that we had as a team that we were willing to to go that extra inch for each other and uh, tight at the back and formidable up front and uh, it, it obviously got us back to where we all wanted to be. So uh, amazing, absolutely uh, amazing. And like you said, I'm uh, I'm sat here with a, a big <laughs> grin on my face as well, just talking about it. It's uh, it's it's very very nice to relive is it to be honest i've got to say probably been the most fun two years i've experienced as a saints fan now like obviously there's been some really really fantastic times like getting um into europe recently was was brilliant mm-hmm. the seasons under cumin but it was it was great because there were loads of grounds that you'd never been to um loads of clubs that you've not seen saints play before and you know that 
um, that team was just a fantastic team. And, you know, when you look back on it now, you think, God, if that team stayed together, who knows, you know, if yeah. what, what they could have gone on to. Um, well, I was chatting to um, Tom, who I present the show with um, occasionally. We were talking about this team and, and um, interesting signings. I remember we brought in, um, was it uh, Billy Sharp halfway yep. through the season? Um, just to kind of get those extra 10 goals that it was going to take to get us over the line. Did, do you think he felt a little bit like he'd been brought in as a bit of a mercenary just to finish the job? Or, you know, what, what was it like when someone like that comes in to this dynamic and this team, which is already clicking together and playing really well together? Yeah, like, uh, we're good, Bill. It's OK, you can you don't need to come. Uh, <laughs> no, um, Billy came in and uh, one thing Billy is, is a, is a character and, and a goal scorer at the same time. So he fitted straight into the, to the, the team uh team changing room the the work ethic and the and the banter that we all had um he's a bit of a joker himself and you know a happy-go-lucky sort of guy so uh, there was no issues on that front and um you know we we welcomed his uh, his goal scoring abilities because we knew that he would get some uh important goals for us that could help get us over the line which uh he did on on a few occasions when uh given the nod to start i think um he originally struggled to to find his feet and, and get in get into the team. Like you said, we were already mortaring and, and clicking, and everyone knew the roles. And it's di- it's difficult to come in. Um, and I think he was aware that you know he'd have to bide his time a little bit. Um, but uh, talking of signings, we also signed uh, Tananori Lee from obviously the Japanese international. And uh, I think he originally got the nod in front of Bill when there was an opening. Um, I think that. Uh, Nigel liked his uh, the dynamic part of his game where he could he could potentially run in behind where with Ricky up top we we didn't have his lightning pace so to speak um, so Billy had to sit there for quite a while and um, and, and wait for his wait for his time um, but when he came and when he got the chances he he took them the way took them away like he had done all his career and, and obviously like he's doing right now at, at Sheffield United and uh, scored some really important goals for us. Um, ones that are sticking out obviously the away game at, at Peterborough um, I think I set him up for his first and again they were they were another team that were, were hunting down and um, we or I had so to speak uh, a rivalry with, with Darren Phil so it's always nice to uh, to get one over <laughs> Peterborough in my eyes so uh, I uh, I was welcome for, for Billy to, to get them goals um, so let's um Let's kind of move into uh, the Premier League season now, which um, it was kind of a bit of a, I suppose, a double-edged sword for you, really. It was all, um, I don't know whether a silver lining with a with a cloud, or uh-huh. I don't know what the right kind of phrase is, but um, it was strange because having been such a big part of both those seasons getting promoted, it just didn't work out when we got up to the Premier League. Like you said, I played a big part in seasons uh, in the previous seasons and um, and, and played the, the majority of the games um, and pretty much was always a starter when uh, when fit enough to do so uh, and then we obviously we got into the Premier League and everyone's delighted and um, we signed a few players obviously trying to add quality to the and depth to the, the squad which is needed um, but um, for whatever reason I don't know Nigel didn't really just give me any chances um far far and few between um nothing had changed in regards to 
how things were going in training or, or anything like that. Um, he just, yeah, just named his team and more often than not, I was on the bench. So uh, I wasn't getting on either. So frustrating because I felt that, all right, I'm back in the Premier League now where I want to be. Let's get this, this show on the road and, and let's see where we can go. And to not be given the opportunity to, to do so was, was disappointing. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a career that's full of ups and downs and disappointments and, and great times. And um, although I didn't get the, uh, the minutes or the opportunities that I, like, I would have liked, I still wouldn't have, have changed anything because I now turn around and look and obviously Southampton are firmly cemented now in the Premier League. So I had a big, big part to play in that. And um, I, I look fondly back on, on their memories and them opportunities. But I feel that if I had been given time, been the same old player that I, I was in, in the championship and played in, in the style and in a dynamic that would have suited um, us as a team. But um, for example, he went down the route of, of Jason Punchin, uh, who had not really been involved in the team for for 18 months had an impressive pre-season and before you know it he's um he's playing Jason in front in front of me and you know Jason's by by no means a, a bad player he's obviously gone out on to uh, to have a, a great career and in the premiership and show his quality and on a weekly basis but uh, I felt uh, a little bit hard done by because I felt I contributed so much and, and players such as 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 Jason hadn't so much done so in uh, the previous season but yet here we were and he was playing and I wasn't so I, I, I do feel your pain on that one because I just yeah. remember with Jason he was always an enigma for me because as soon as the television you know studio were in town if the if the Saints games were televised you'd see Jason put in like a brilliant performance or if we were playing against a big team or maybe a, you know one of the teams from the higher divisions in the cup that's when you'd see the well the good Jason punching but week in week out he just he just wasn't there was he um uh, yeah it does seem bizarre and, and you know no doubt as soon as he got back to the premier league he felt it was worth his while again but yeah um, <laughs> i don't i mean that may be a harsh view that i'm taking as a yeah no i think at, um, but, but that's what it felt like as a fan yeah i think obviously jason's an extremely talented character and, and for whatever reason he didn't perform in the in the lower leagues where it's a little bit more of a, a stealing mentality if you will and uh have to grind out certain scenarios um but you know he, he did he came into his own in in uh he had a, a fantastic preseason. I, I can't deny him that um yeah. but i just felt that you know he could have been Nigel could have been a little bit more loyal to to some of the players that had um, done so much for him um to get him there and obviously we didn't have a fantastic uh start so to speak and unfortunately for Nigel he he was uh, asked to pack his bags and in came Maurizio so which has was was a fantastic find by the club uh, credit to to them and uh, yet again they produced uh, a diamond out of the rough yeah I mean I, it was funny of you talking about loyalty there because it, it was um I, re- I just remember speaking to you know family members and friends about Saints when we'd sacked Nigel Adkins and it just felt kind of really quite wrong in terms of what mm-hmm. he'd done you know to get double promotion and then and then to be sacked I mean what was the feeling in the club at the time were you guys surprised when he got moved on or, or did you see it coming um I think it was a mixed emotions I think we felt that you know we were we were extremely appreciative for 
for everything he'd done previously and, and to where we got to as a group. But I think it was also evident to see that we were at a point in, in the in the season where, you know, we were struggling to come up with, with answers to winning games. And, you know, the the club obviously felt it was it was time to try and bring in someone that may have a little bit more of a an elite level insight into respect to uh getting us premiership survival and I think history shows that it was the the right move. It's a difficult one because yes, he he did so much for the club as as did the players to get us where we were. But uh, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, football's a business and uh, it always will be. And there will be business decisions that are made, and not um, not friendship decisions. So uh, it's a cutthroat business, um, as I found out when I got there. Yeah, and, and obviously, and as Nigel found out when he was he was eventually given the boot. So, I fully understand that you feel like you have a connection with with people. But you look at Leicester; they did it, and uh, and and again they survived. So, uh, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and did you get much chance? With Pochettino, under Maurizio, he was unbelievable as a coach. Straight away, he came in, and, and I loved training under him because he really pushed you to the limits. Um, but again, I was at this point, I was kind of stuck in a little bit of a rut. I'd had no game time when he rolled through the door. Um, I also feel that the club that it is, Southampton being the club it is now, and and the way that we like to push our youth through, that if there's an opportunity to have a youngster on the bench that would offer similar aspects or uh, outcome to to a senior a guy that they would actually go the opposite way and play the younger guy, uh, which is it's a good mechanism to have because it's showed on a on a consistent basis to, to be one that's worked for the club. So players like James Ward-Prowse, who are only 17, were uh, getting a few minutes and getting in the shot window and playing well. So uh, at that point, I was then looking to just get some game time going into the end of the season and and I ended up um, going out on loan to Millwall uh, due to the the fact that they had a, an FA Cup semi-final coming up at Wembley and uh, everyone loves Wembley so yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like oh, I'll, have, I'll have a little bit of that I'm sat here in in the bench and and, uh, and whatnot so uh, it'd be good to go and get maybe like I did previously in my career when I came down and played 11 games uh, for Southampton it was uh, it was an opportunity to do that but with with a day out at Wembley so um, I, uh, I, I opted to do that rather than, than stay around and, and not contribute and, and get any minutes yeah and um, I mean at, at that point are you kind of feeling like the the Premier League seems to be this it, it's almost this thing where you've kind of had a little bit of experience from it a little bit with West Brom a little bit with Southampton but never quite established yourself as as a you know, regular in the Premier League. I mean, that must have felt quite frustrating when you're seeing, you know, your colleagues kind of going on to the next thing. But do you think it's opportunity, um, or you know, because I always felt like you, you, you were good enough for the Premier League from watching you, but obviously never got a chance to see you played that much in in the division. Yeah, yeah I think um, frustration is is a word you can use. Obviously, disappointment, whatever. But um, it is what it is, and I'm not. I'm going to sit here now and say uh, and, and dwell on that fact that I didn't get as much game time as I would have liked in the Premier League because whatever way you look at it, I, I think I have um, had a pretty amazing career and one that many people would would be happy to have as well. So um, 
not going to start looking and trying to pick little bits of negatives out because I don't think there's any need to. But um, I, I firmly believe that um, if I'd been given the opportunities um, as I was in previous seasons, that I would have performed like I would have done, like I had done in previous seasons. You know, I felt I was consistently performing to a, a high level in the championship and in in the League One team. And and as we've seen, it was it's more of the the overall dynamics of the team that are important. And I don't feel that uh, you know having me in there wouldn't have really changed anything in respect to what we'd had previously. So uh, I feel that we would have been just as strong. But uh, it is what it is, and um, still still. It, it, extremely uh looking back on things with with fond memories regardless of uh the lack of game time in the premier league so now these days you're out plying your trade in california um for orange county soccer club i was about to say fc but sc isn't it um yeah and i mean i i wonder like how can you tell us a little bit i think we obviously we all know that you ended up going to millwall but how did you end up mm-hmm. going from Millwall to end, you know, being in the United States of America? And what made that feel like the next step in your career or the right step in your career at the time? A number of things, really. Um, obviously, leaving leaving Saints, I opted to to join Millwall, where I'd been on loan the season before. That proved probably to not be a fantastic uh, footballing decision for, for my career. Never really got going there. There was a few... There was some personal things going on off the pitch that uh, I was dealing with um, as well. So whether that uh, affected my performance or not, I'm not too too sure. But uh, for whatever reasons, uh, the club was struggling, always in a in a dog fight and grinding results out, and uh, we never got any momentum or confidence going. We narrowly escaped escaped. Uh, relegation uh, the first season uh, Lawmas got sacked who was the manager that signed me after 10 games uh, and Ian Holloway came in and uh, again a, a manager that uh, just did me and him just didn't click so to speak and um, after leaving uh, Millwall and, and having a brief spell at Ipswich on loan uh, which again was, was great and reminded me of my times at Southampton where they had the camaraderie the club team spirit things that we we didn't necessarily have at Millwall it was uh, it was nice to be involved in again and uh, I ultimately left there and went signed for Doncaster for 12 months hoping that we would go back to the championship and we got relegated uh, so it just seemed that since uh, I left Southampton uh, I was always searching for something else and yeah. ne- never really found it um, it's a it's a big a big shoe to fill you know big pair of, pair of uh, shoes to fill uh, having so many successful and amazing relationships in Southampton, to try and find that again, I felt found like I was always searching for for that and never really greeted with it. And uh, growing growing increasingly frustrated with the mentality of uh, of lower league uh, footballers, um, so to speak. Not that I want to to bitch too much about uh, the mentality, but feel that once you're in that environment um which totally wasn't the case at Southampton in league 1 that there was uh, I was uh encountered with players that were uh, had very very high opinions of themselves and had done very very little to to warrant such opinions so um I found that I was outnumbered with that character so to speak and personality and I just wasn't in 
enjoying uh, being in that environment. Um, so I decided to look uh, to look abroad, and we have family over here in the states on the west coast, just outside LA in Redondo Beach. And every off season, we would come over here and spend three to four weeks with them, and uh, just have have a downtime and uh, yeah, holiday. But you're living in someone's house, and it's more like just you know living living in the states for a month. And uh, we we loved it every time we came. We couldn't wait to get back out here. Uh, so I explored the options, and and um, and it it wasn't really something I would entertain because um, I have no problems in in telling you that the salary is. Um, significantly different from what I've been used to in the past um but I I really didn't see uh I didn't really I just didn't see it as a problem uh I was like money doesn't doesn't make the world go round or or make uh me happy so uh I felt that the move to the states would would bring us something new in our lives as a family would be a great opportunity for myself to progress on after and, and potentially uh coach over here uh, would uh, give my kids a, a fantastic opportunity of of a, a lifestyle that is active and, and healthy with the climate that we spoke about um, a while back now at the start. And um, it was just something that excited me, more so for the future, back to um, what it could bring, uh, because I was obviously sacrificing um, some good years uh, still in England, both financially and uh, at, a, at a decent standard, I feel like I still had enough in the tank to uh, to perform uh, in in the English leagues. But um, it was the project over here was exciting and brought a lot of opportunity with it. So uh, I said, "Where do I sign?" And we packed our bags and off we came. And um, say, so, I mean, you're talking about the kind of future there. I know that you um you studied and got a degree at um, Manchester Met Uni whilst you were kind of going through your career as well and you've done training badges as well I mean do you see yourself maybe as going on to being a a coach in America or or getting involved in that side of things or club management or so my my view on it is basically that um, I I, I actually um, I'm two years into my my degree at Manchester and I had to uh, I had to put it on hold when I came out here because I wasn't uh, sure of what my day-to-day schedule would be um and whether I'd have the, the time to dedicate 15 hours a week to to an online uh, degree course, so which four and a half year course, so I'm halfway through it. Um, so that's sat there waiting to be completed, and I, I hope to uh, update that and do that at some point. Um, but my view on, on being over here in, in the States is um, this environment over here. Um, I say soccer with a, <laughs> a puzzled look on my face. It seems strange calling it that, but... Uh, yeah, the, the the soccer environment over here is, is one that is growing rapidly, uh, and it's obviously the size of the country uh, means it isn't possible to have um, 92 professional teams on a little island, you know. So uh, they actually have maybe no more than one to two professional teams per state, uh, and if we take California for example. Um, California state is the same size as England Um, and they have you know 50 odd of these so it's it's significantly different and the way it drives private clubs it would be maybe your academies your your professional teams so there's a lot a lot of uh, private clubs around here there's a a couple of professional clubs Uh, there's there added and on top of that college 
high school and university soccer, uh, which again have full time coaches. Um, so I just feel there's so many different routes and options and directions I can go over here in respect to coaching, um, which I wouldn't have in America, uh, in England, sorry. Um, so yes, I want to look and and hopefully uh, become a coach one day uh, at a at a professional level. And I just felt that this place could offer me that because England is a little bit more what, not what you know, but who you know. Uh, you see the manager merry-go-round that seems to happen time and time again every single season. Yeah. And you'll see one manager get sacked. So let's take Nigel, for example. He got, he got sacked from Southampton. He goes red and he takes his whole backroom staff with him. Um, so anyone that was there for Reading previously, uh, regardless of the manager going, they all went, all four or five of them. So uh, Nigel goes to there, he takes the backroom staff, then Nigel goes from Reading and he goes to South, South Sheffield United, he takes his backroom staff. And that's happening the whole way around the country. So how do you break into that? Uh, how do you get your foot in the door, so to speak? Um you know where do you start? Uh, how do you get the opportunity? It's 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 incredible, incredibly difficult. Uh, whereas over here, much more opportunity. My CV speaks for itself in that respect. And as long as I become a good coach, which I have every confidence I will be doing, uh, and will be, um, sorry, so to speak, uh, by putting the time and effort and, and hard work into to train myself up, um, I feel that. I won't have any problems um, fulfilling that that dream of mine over here, uh, where I might be uh, hitting a few brick walls in in England. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully it'll work out, and you know, who knows if you have a lot of success in the United States, maybe we'd. Uh, well, I don't know whether you'd actually ever want to trade in the the <laughs> sunny climate of uh, California um, to end up back to this kind of miserable, cold, wet outlook that I'm looking onto at the moment. Yeah. But, well, I'd always trade it for for the south of England. If I ever come yeah. back, I'll be, uh, you know, I'd probably live in in the south. It's uh, is it more likely without... to be Southampton than uh, Accrington? Is, is that what you're saying? I would think. I think it would be. <laughs> yeah. um, we we loved the area, and like I said, we had so many successful, yeah. amazing memories that that it is without doubt probably in the the top three of of the list of where we would uh, look to live if we if we ever do come back to the UK. Uh, Richard, I, I mean. You're very welcome to stop me with this, but um, there was a very interesting article on the BBC website, uh, I think, last week um, about you. And you touched earlier on your um, personal issues that you're saying uh, that kind of affected your performance at Mill. I don't know, would you be comfortable talking about what happened? Yeah, there? absolutely, not a problem. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I was uh, basically coming. I came back from Millwall and. Um, I was injured with my ankle at the time. We were expecting my third child, Teddy, and um, Emily was was up one night, um, and she was as parents do, and mothers of a caring child always prodding and poking around her, her tummy, so to speak. And she was she was worried that she hadn't felt um, Teddy move for a while. So we went to bed that night, and uh, the next morning she was in the hot bath trying to obviously get him wake him up get him get him going and whatnot and again didn't didn't get any feedback on that front so i left her to it and and i went off to to training and uh emily um, went headed over to the hospital just to to get a routine ultrasound checkup and and obviously it uh, it confirmed uh, obviously our, our worst nightmare so to speak so 
off the back of uh, of that, we uh, we obviously unfortunately lost Teddy. Um, Emily had a an internal bleed on her placenta, uh, which ruptured or or did something along those lines, and uh, you know ultimately um, stopped supplying oxygen to to Teddy, and uh, he's he's he stopped breathing on on the fact that uh, the uh, the oxygen supply was cut. So an extremely freak one in a million sort of uh, scenario, um, which uh, is is unfortunate without doubt. And obviously we're still uh, carrying around with us every day in our thoughts, but um, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was just difficult at the time to uh, try and and care for um, and make sure that Emily was fine as well as trying to be somewhere else in respect to me being at the football club every morning Emily, who is a full-time mother, um, didn't have that release, so to speak, um, and was just in the house on her own every day. Um, so the worry of the and everything that comes with that, um, the feelings, the emotions, um, is naturally, uh, you know, we're human beings at the end of the day, and it can it can really knock you for six. So um, I I quickly realised that I needed to speak to someone or try and figure out a way out of, of how I was feeling. Um, and I urged Emily to, to do the same, but, um, ultimately, uh, the, the route that we took as a, as a, as a couple was, um, I can't force Emily to, to do anything. And she felt that she just wanted to shut down and not really, um, speak to anything about, speak to anyone about it. Um, which, added pressure to myself because I then felt that it was, you know, my duty to, to help her through it, so to speak, um, which with it comes, um, added weight, added pressure. Um, and it, like I said, I don't know whether it, it, it affected my performances or whether it just coincided with me not being in the team. Um, but I quickly found that by speaking to people, um, looking for routes and, and understanding, um, certain scenarios and how to deal with with grief and loss and 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 everything that goes with it um mechanisms that you can you can do uh i quickly found that i had uh, a purpose again and um started coming out of my my slumber so to speak um but emily was always of the impression that um she didn't want to to speak to anyone about it because she didn't feel that um anyone know what she was was going through um and i'm sure there's hundreds of hundreds of other parents out there that um have been through this and uh know that it's a very difficult time and to what to what emily's what emily was feeling at the time but um they say time's a healer and uh for emily it definitely was you know she slowly started coming to terms with with and, uh, at the end of the day, we're very, very lucky to have two um, two beautiful boys already. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a time where it uh, it, it hit hard. It hit home hard. And uh, and what I always speak to people about now, if I ever get asked a question, is that we managed to to now take that um, that thing that happened and turn it into not a positive, but definitely impact us as positively as we can let it impact us by um we've learned incredibly important life lessons i feel um 
in respect to how we how we handle ourselves in certain situations uh what's in what's not i obviously spoke earlier about uh, a financial aspect um and the salaries and i i firmly believe that um if we hadn't have had suffered that loss and, and realized really what life's about and what what's important and what isn't that i probably wouldn't have um signed a contract over over here for a significantly lower um salary because you have a mind that um you know you need to to earn as much money as possible to be happy and and what what not and um i can i can safely say that uh, that is is definitely not the case so um just happy that we we managed to come out and now be in a much much stronger position to to live out the rest of our lives and, and hopefully be um, strong and uh, loving parents to our, our two little boys that are, are now, you know, reaping the rewards over here in, in California. And, and that opportunity has come to us as a family and, and obviously the kids due to the fact that we were unfortunately put through a, a scenario such as, as losing Teddy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, thank you very much for kind of sharing that story and i think it is really admirable that you guys managed to to you know get pick yourselves up after that i mean um i've got a little boy myself my wife is pregnant mm-hmm. at the moment and you know you describing how you feel for the kicks and you're excited and then you know as soon as you don't feel anything or, or think you don't feel anything you, you think oh i'm just being paranoid or, or being yeah. silly but there is that something so deep within us as human beings which uh-huh. i think you don't really understand until you're a parent um uh, yeah uh, but yeah thank you thank you for sharing that with us because uh, i think there's probably a lot of people listening who, who, who maybe have had something similar as well yeah no i mean i was uh, initially uh, when it happened uh chose not to uh go down uh the, the social media route or the or the you know the public route of letting the world know that we'd suffered such a, such a loss. I I felt, um, and my personality is that we kept things close and, uh, our loved ones, our family, our friends, obviously everyone was amazing and supported us, but, um, I chose to just, you know, hunker down sort of thing and, and get through it as a close knit family. But, um, it was, it was ultimately that, uh, experience that, um, asked me, made me ask uh, the club if I, if I could leave because um, we felt that we could no longer stay uh, around Southampton with all the memories that we'd had of shopping for baby gifts and setting up nursery, etc., etc. We felt it would just be too hard to um, be constantly reminded of that, um, yeah. which is which is ultimately why I asked to, to leave the club. Um, and, um, and obviously not many people probably know that, but... Um, whether I was on my way out or where I wasn't, it was it was definitely accelerated because of, of that um, experience. But um, I now feel, uh, and, and sometimes you know we forget, like like you said, we're we're human beings and and parents, and I sometimes forget that um, you know I am maybe looked up to by by certain aspects of the, of the population as a football player, um, but you you don't really look at yourself like that. Uh, you know I don't look at myself in the mirror and think you know people look up to me um so maybe to be able to um share my story and and hopefully be um 
a sign of strength or inspiration to people it's um, extremely humbling on that re- on that respect yeah um so let's let, we'll, we'll kind of take that as a we'll move away from this topic now and, and go on to the humans out of the saints players that you played with which one's the best human which who are the ones that you like to you know speak to or chat with or are, are you still in touch with any of them yeah um like I said earlier, um, such a close uh, knit group, uh, both um, the wives and, and the players. So uh, my best friend um, and somebody I was in, was extremely close with at the club was was Adam Lallana. Um, we used to get changed to each with each, next to each other in the changing rooms. Uh, he was my roommate at, at uh, away trips, or as as the lads call it, uh, roomies, <laughs> um, and. Uh, I suppose I was always a little bit in front of Adam in respect to obviously my where I was in my my life. So I had the kids. I you know I played at a higher level than him at that point, and uh, we just we just clicked and got on really well. And we used to then go away on holidays to each other in the off season. We'd go away with Portugal with with the girls, and and then obviously Adam himself had kids and would then ask me for advice and uh, and whatnot. I don't know if I'm. I'm the best person to ask for uh, follow the advice at that point, but um, you know it was it was just we had a, we had a fantastic relationship, and I still speak to Adam on a on a maybe not a daily basis, but uh, we we touch base more more often than not every week uh, through the delights of WhatsApp and, yeah. and whatnot, and uh, which makes things really easy when you're on a uh, on a different uh, time zone of uh, eight hours. But um, no, in respect to uh, families uh, my wife and myself is still um, really close with uh, Kelvin and, and his wife uh, Dan Harden and, and his wife Danny Butterfield and, and his wife uh, Lee Holmes and, and his wife uh, Fraser Richardson and his partner uh, so there's there's still a, a strong group and we we try and meet up uh, and get together if we can um, or go away on holidays with each other and the kids. We all have kids, uh, the lot of people I just mentioned there. Yeah. And um, you know, they the the wives of the the players I mentioned have a their own group, <laughs> uh, and they stay in touch and they're very close. And it's uh, I think guys being guys don't don't connect as well as girls and, and women do uh so it's always the women now that organize the things and we just get dragged along so I mean, it, it uh, is frightening when you have a peek inside a girl's whatsapp group isn't it i mean the oh yeah it's the, incredible. the volume is just insane of you know, the amount of messages yeah i mean guys can ring each other up and they can have a 30 second conversation cover everything they need to cover yeah. and, 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 we're, and we're done you know obviously the, the girls get together on the phone and, and they go at it for for 30 40 minutes and uh and then they get off the phone and they're like oh i forgot to ask her <laughs> <laughs> so hey guys uh like i said they're they're now the the ring bearers so to speak they they carry the, the torch and the flame and uh if we are getting together on holidays and uh long weekends or um getting together for a few beers or whatever it's it's always it's always the girls that have uh have arranged it and uh, more often than not it's uh it's dan harden's missus that that does the uh the arranging she uh i don't think she has anything else going on in, in a day-to-day life <laughs> organizing your social to, uh, life. 
other than to try and cost me more money and uh, <laughs> get us on uh, on trips across the world. So uh, no, yeah. delighted that we met them people. It's uh, it was it was definitely a, a life changing uh, experience down there, and uh, we've made some friends that we'll uh, hopefully never stay out of uh, touch with. Okay, and uh, one last question before I let you go, because I realise I've yep. yapped on for longer than you know probably Dan Hardig's wife here. Um, <laughs> music so we've got this theory that southampton are playing this uh song which is like a, a weird version of uh i did it my way um right. before the games and we're wondering you know, does the music affect the players when they come out to the pitch we're thinking of starting a campaign from the saints podcast you know to get the club dj to play something a bit more upbeat and a bit more exciting upbeat. when the players come on um in the modern day uh, changing room, you always have your own individual DJ, and the music will be will be going full blast. You'll have guys walking around with their earphones in and listening to their own individual motivational talks, videos, whatever inspires them or music. Um, but for me, uh, I was always one that walked around the changing room with no earphones in, giving very little. Uh, paying very little attention to what was going on in in and on the speakers. Uh, I suppose maybe it's I am, but uh, once I get into the tunnel and I'm preparing myself for a game, you know, you hear um, the music come on and it's the cue really that you know I'm about to walk out on the pitch and and go to war, so to speak. So uh, you always have an affiliation connection with with what's being played over the the tannoy because. Ultimately, it's it's that cue to uh, to get going, you know. To right here we are. It's we're about to about to get going. So um, I can I can say that I don't really have uh, what's the best way to put. I don't really care what is on as long as it's the same thing every week because it's the same audio cue, so that yeah. I know exactly where I'm at in my routine. Uh, so although it might not be to the delight of the fans, I don't think it'll be affecting the players too much. So you don't have to worry on that front. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Richard. Like um, you've spoken to me for much longer than uh, I asked you for, and I think this is you know about the fifth different calling mechanism that we've tried to get this working. Yeah, we've tried so, a few. We tried yeah. A few. Thank you so much for your patience with that. Um, it's been a real, real pleasure. Uh, talking with you um and i i'm sure our listeners are gonna absolutely love listening back to this so thanks 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 a lot i hope so i hope they enjoy it all right cheers richard john thank you very much take care cheers all right